Before we get going with this episode of the On The Touchline podcast, Dukig Brand is offering listeners of this show 10% off your next order. Want to know what all the hype is about? Go to dugtigbrand.com and upon checkout, use the promo code BROADWATER19. Details are in the show notes. This is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. In episode 26 of the On The Touchline podcast, I talked to Sky Eddie Bruce. Sky is the founder of the Soccer Parenting Association. And if you'd like to do a deeper dive into the Soccer Parenting Association, I've included a link to their work in the show notes. Uh, So go and give that a look. So raise your hand if as a coach, you've worked with parents. I would suspect that everybody that listens to this show that has been a coach. So whether you're driving in your car right now, you're working out, uh, however you engage with the show, chances are your hand probably went up. So raise your hand if as a coach, if you feel you've had a beneficial and collaborative relationship with your parents. So if I were a betting man, I bet that probably not as many hands went up to answer that question. So you may have experienced this as a coach. I've worked with coaches that have try to avoid parents at all costs. So doing exactly the opposite of what is recommended is a best practice when it comes to engaging parents. I've had coaches that have tried to duck out after a game that don't want to engage with parents and, you know, just explain and answer and educate and make it a collaborative environment. So I'll read a little bit about the mission of the Soccer Parenting Association. Our mission is to inspire players by empowering parents. We believe a strong and supportive community of level-headed, I like that word, and like-minded parents and coaches will inspire players. We believe a more collaborative environment between coach, parent, club, and player is in the best interest of player development. I would agree. We believe when parents seek information about how to best support their player, great things will happen. And we believe youth parents will be the difference makers when it comes to improving the game. So, Parents aren't the enemy, and if you've been around the game long enough, you will come to realize that they could be your greatest ally. They can take the message that you are trying to reinforce with your team, but they could do that at home or in the car or away from a training session or a match, and they could be a really great ally to helping you do that. I hope you enjoy episode 26 and my conversation with the founder of the Soccer Parenting Association, Sky Eddie Bruce. Let me start by saying that I'm a massive fan of what you're trying to do in the soccer community. And I say that because um, mostly, you know, generally speaking, uh, my experience working with parents has been incredibly positive. And a lot of what you're doing uh, with soccer parenting uh, has been very helpful. Um, but you know, it's this sort of continuous education of parents and uh, not looking at them as the enemy, but really as an ally uh, in, in what we do. So for, for folks not familiar with uh, who you are and, and a little bit about your work, um, let's start maybe from your youth playing days, and uh, we'll take that up to, to present day. But um, what was your uh, youth soccer experience like uh, growing up in Virginia? Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for having me to start with. And um, 
Looking forward to this conversation. So we're going back to uh, the the origin story here, I guess. Um, I grew up, um, I was born in 1971, so a year before Title IX was passed and had the amazing benefit of being able to play um, youth sports from a young age. I grew up in Northern Virginia and Reston and um, yeah, was always a soccer player from the very beginning. Four or five years old is when I started playing and always wanted to be a goalkeeper, which is the position that I played. So it's just kind of, um, it, it's it's been, I always say the goalkeepers are born, not made. I definitely um, grew up wanting to be a goalkeeper and played, so played through high school in the WAGS league, was on our youth national teams, was a youth All-American, played in region one, um, had a chance to do like the first tour that ODP took overseas with the girls. I was on that tour to Holland and Italy um, and um, ran track also in high school pretty competitively, but opted to uh, play collegiately, play soccer collegiately and um, ended up at, at UMass in Amherst. What were you like as a, uh, as a player? Um, as a young player? Um, you know, I loved, I, I'm very competitive, as you could imagine. So um, I always was focused and ready to win. Um, but I also, you know, this was a different age. Like, if you go back and you look at comparing what our children are going through now to what we went through at the top, top level back in the 80s, the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, it's nothing like what they're doing now. And all of the experiences that they're having and the pressure that they have on them is a lot different. But um, I was very competitive, very focused athlete, um, knew it was really clear that I wanted to um, keep playing collegiately. That was never a question. You know, I was wanted to, um, you know, aspire to play on our, on our national team. And, you know, just from a competitive standpoint um, was always really focused. So at some point, uh going from playing to coaching and i'm always curious when i talk to folks in soccer how they made that pivot um in terms of uh you know knowing uh, you know uh, we want to play for as long as we possibly can right but we also know that there's a million other ways we can stay involved with this game and uh so when did that pivot happen for you and, and how did it happen and, and what made you want to become a coach or involved in sort of a different type of role uh, when it came to the game of soccer? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Jason. I mean, I would say that I was always wanted to be a coach. Like I, I coached kids in high school. I made money by, you know, doing a little training with with other goalkeepers in Reston, even in high school. So I guess there's there's just a part of me that is a bit of a teacher and that's a little bit in my DNA and in terms of that. But I became a coach because there weren't opportunities to play. Um, to be really clear, I really wish that I could have kept playing for many, many years. But when I graduated college as a first team All-American, as the MVP of the Final Four, there was nowhere for me to play um, in the States. If you weren't on the national team, then you had nothing. There wasn't a draft. There wasn't a league. So um, I got into coaching really because there were no more playing opportunities for me here in the States. Um, I loved coaching. Don't get me wrong. It was always something I wanted to do. All through college, I worked for Dr. Macknick in the number one camps. I worked for Tony after that with um, Soccer Plus camps. So, I mean, coaching was always a big part of what I was doing, but I guess I never really thought of myself as a coach until it became clear to me that there weren't playing opportunities here in the States. Um, and so then I, I guess I kind of looked at myself more as a, a full-time coach, maybe a year or so after I graduated college. What do you like as a coach? You know, it all comes back to just impacting the lives of kids. I tell that story in my speaking sometimes with Dr. Macknick, um, you know, go, going um, out to the fields with me. It was probably like week five or six of the camp season for number one camps. And we were all exhausted. And he put his arm around me as we're walking out to the fields early one morning and just said in his gruffy voice, kind of positively affecting the lives of youth. And that statement has always really stuck with me. Um, that's what I love about coaching. I love seeing kids inspired. I love seeing kids, um, their, their life path truly changed from their experiences within the game. That's, that's what always drives me to coaching and why 
I keep coming back to it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I keep going away from it and coming back to it and I'm coaching now and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. It's some of the favorite part of my week. You mentioned somebody that, uh, name that came up. So T Tony DeChico and the, uh, the late great Tony DeChico. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was, uh, I, I too, uh, have a, a fondness or, uh, uh, you know, significant interest in the goalkeeping position and, uh, the club that I currently work for, I've been doing a lot of training with our goalkeepers and, um, you know, working on the, the licensure and some of the, the steps necessary to kind of move up the level there, uh, professionally for me. And, uh, it was interesting to me. And actually, as I was doing my homework, uh, you know, on your background, Sky, that I went through the United Soccer Coaches, uh, level one course recently. And in uh, as part of the you know the videos and the, the coursework or whatever, uh, Tony DiCicco is featured prominently uh, in those videos. And yeah. uh, you know, knowing uh, like I said in, in my prep, um, you know, for for today, uh, what was that like knowing him, but also working with him and sort of engaging with him, and um, you know, now his his son Anthony and, and that sort of thing. Because uh, yeah, I, I'm curious what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, it was just a gift. Truly, um, one of the things that I'm most grateful for is is the things and the, the the plethora of lessons that I learned from Tony. Um, Tony was an educator. He was a teacher at heart. He um, he set amazing standards for culture. He's a, just a phenomenal culture builder. I think I learned a lot from him, which I didn't really realize I was learning at the time. Um, from him about that with his camp environment. So um, he was truly just a giver in so many senses of the word. He just gave of himself, just, um, you know, emotionally always available for people. And, and then, you know, obviously creating this camp environment with Soccer Plus Camps, which is where I worked with him closely. Um, where kids literally would come in the camp and five, six days later would leave just transformed, um, never realizing how much they could accomplish until they push themselves to their limits emotionally and physically. And um, the transformational stories that we, we hear time and time again from parents about their children, like, what did you do to my kids? Um, were something that, that really stood with me. Um, Tony, Tony was just also a phenomenal, um, uh, this is leadership qualities, his curiosity, I think is something I've been thinking a lot about lately because I do reflect on him a lot. Um, his curiosity and the way he asked open-ended questions for people, even if he thought he knew the answer, still trying to get that answer out of you and help you reflect and learn. And he was always willing to change his mind. You know, he didn't have like predetermined ideas of what he thought the answer would be, even though he might have an idea. Um, so that's something I've been thinking a lot about now um, lately as I've been trying to like perfect my coaching skills with my with the team that I'm working with now and asking those open-ended questions. Um, really, I, I, he just impacted so many people's lives and his coaching tree is so strong. You know, at the convention this year, I ran into a couple of people I'd never met before that came after me at Soccer Plus and we just, hit it off right away. Um, he surrounded himself with real quality, quality people. And he was so um, willing to think about his weaknesses and connect with people that were strengths and associate himself with people that highlighted his weaknesses to the point where, you know, that, that, that he could overcome them. I just, I could I could talk for hours about Tony, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, folks are hearing the the audio of this, but uh, we're actually doing a, a video conference, and uh, I can just see uh, the impact that he had mm -hmm. on you, just in your in your body language, and yeah. um, you know, I, I often wonder because there's so many people, right? I, I I never met Tony, but I felt impacted by him um, because yeah, his uh, his knowledge of the game. Uh, his knowledge in the the goalkeeping goalkeeping piece mm -hmm. that I was watching was was fantastic. Um, his presentation was fantastic. Uh, I, I love what you said, Sky, about the open ended questions um, because he was doing that in the video. Mm -hmm. And the um, you know, I, I think the word you used is perfect. It's a curiosity um, that he you know he he didn't have these sort of pre preconceived notions or or whatnot of of people and. 
yeah, I mean, that inspires me as a coach uh, to certainly want to be better and, um, you know, uh, give, give my best effort uh, when I'm coaching, uh, coaching the boys that I currently coach. So, yeah, he just didn't have that ego that we so often run into. Unfortunately, um, I do feel like we're, we're coming, we're, we're moving away from that a little bit. I am really sort of, I feel optimistic that some of our leadership um, that we're seeing is not that ego filled coach that's unapproachable. And I do feel like there's a culture that's building and growing of coaches that are are really curious and are really open and um, do want to learn. And so um, that was something that really struck me a lot, you know, because again, when I was working so closely with Tony was 20 years ago and, um, you know, he was so approachable and so and so open. So that's something that I think he really impacted a lot of people in his coaching tree that learned from him and looked to him as a mentor and realized how vulnerable and curious and all of those qualities that he brought to the table. And we're starting to see that play out in our soccer culture now because of him and other leaders that we've had that have those same qualities. It's interesting to me that um, I've often said uh, in fellow coaches and, and folks in the soccer community that I talk to that there, there seem to be two camps of coaches. And camp one are the Tony DeChicos uh, Tony of the world where they'll invite anybody anywhere, anytime in, they'll have a conversation, even when they don't have time, you know, for that person, they'll make time for that person. Because the thought process is that, you know, we're all in this together, that it, it takes truly all of us, you know, doing our part. So what you're doing in Virginia, what I'm trying to do in, in the Pittsburgh area, what folks are doing in California, Texas, Florida, wherever. And then there's the other camp of, I have information, I'm going to build a fort around that information and you can't come in. Despite your best efforts, you can't come in. And I never understood the that group um, because, I, and I get folks are competitive, uh, you know, and I'm competitive as, as anybody, but I also come back to this idea that we all want the same thing. We all want every one of our players to be successful. Mm -hmm. We want our parents to be a part of this process. We want our kids to have a lifelong love of the game of soccer, not just a you know, a very brief period or a, a blip on their radar in terms of their, you know, their life. And um, so I, I'm curious what's, what that's been like for you, Sky. that, uh, you know, have you experienced something similar or, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit that you might think things may be changing a little bit. Yeah. Of course I have. I mean, of course I've had experiences in the game in the last 20 years or so where, I've been taking a coaching course and I haven't had a real open experience or I've been really um, feeling like I'm in a really high ego environment and, you know, didn't feel like people were open. Um, but I will also say that we certainly have to consider the, I, I talk a lot in the work that I'm doing about trust and this lack of trust that is pervasive within our soccer culture that goes from the top down. Um, whether that be our, uh, you know, the lack of trust between U.S. club, U.S. youth soccer and U.S. soccer, whether that be the lack of trust between coaches at a high level, between the MLS and the other leagues, whether that be you know, even down to my level with coaches and parents and referees. And, you know, so there's this lack of trust that that definitely has permeated. But I, I really, truly, again, am optimistic because I do feel like we're talking about these things now. We're getting to the point where we're, we're, um, we're feeling like we're in a more collaborative environment and we're seeing those things play out. So, What's empowering is that it feels like it's kind of coming from the middle or bottom level up. Um, and then I will also say, very frankly, you know, I'm in the middle of my U.S. soccer instructor's license right now, my grassroots instructor's license. It's been fantastic. You know, I feel like the connections that I've had with the instructors there, have, they've been very open and very vulnerable and, um, and have really, really put themselves out there to help us as instructors learn. So that to me, you know, makes me really, really excited to know that that's happening. Cause you know, then we'll be the grassroots instructors that are going out and setting the culture moving forward. So um, th those are another, other reasons why I feel that we're positive right now, but yes, of course I've experienced, to answer your question, I've experienced those ego filled coaches. And I think a lot of that is just insecurity. 
um, you know, is, is insecurity on the part of people. And the more that we grow this base, and this is part of the work I'm doing with parents, the more we grow this base of parents and educate parents, then, you know, that's not going to work anymore. We're going to all have to be better as we, um, as our, as the base gets more educated and more comfortable and um, understands what the right environment looks like. That's when we'll start to see a big culture change. I think that's a, uh, a really good pivot to uh, the work you're doing with uh, soccer parenting. So um, tell folks that maybe aren't familiar with your work, uh, sort of the genesis of it in terms of why you wanted to go in this direction, uh, you know, professionally, um, and a little bit about, you know, what you guys are doing uh, currently. Yeah. So um, so I start, started soccer parenting probably five years ago now, um, maybe even longer, six years ago. The story, I don't tell it very often, but I think it's maybe, you know, important for your audience of, of coaches and other parents that are out there to hear is, you know, I started soccer parenting because I was really unhappy with my daughter's environment. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a quality environment when she was in the seven, eight, nine year old time. And I felt really hopeless as a parent to be able to help because the club didn't want me out there coaching her. Because you know we do have a policy of of not coaching our of not coaching your kids when in, the, in the paid level or you know in the more advanced level, um, and the executive director really wasn't open to thinking that there could be some room for change or improvement in that program. And so, I, I started soccer parenting because because of that. But now I can also look back and be really honest. I was also really struggling as a parent um, with my daughter. You know not sure how to help her. She is a great athlete that's not super intrinsically motivated and didn't have a real growth mindset. So I think it was those two things coming together of her environment not being amazing and it wasn't something that I was comfortable with or excited about sending her to and she wasn't excited. And now with some perspective, she's 18 now, I can look back and I can also say, wow, that was a really hard parenting, this type of child, this type of athlete, and I could have done a lot better and I was really struggling. And I think now I can look back and I can say that's probably why I started all of this as well. Um, the, the concept is that we're working to educate and support engage parents in the soccer process. Obviously that goes hand in hand with working with coaches and clubs and educating them on how to do that, what the right relationship between coaches and parents looks like when you open the door, when you close the door, and um, really just trying to um, to bring in and, and engage this group of people that has historically been pushed away, the parents, uh, knowing that our environment will improve. And we've grown tremendously. Um, we have 50 clubs that we're working with now across the country that are kind of club members, I've created the Soccer Parent Resource Center, which is a separate website that's an educational platform for soccer parents, full of information, articles, um, courses, um, lots of interviews for parents about different topics. And clubs are buying access to that for their parents. So we're sort of solving the parent education dilemma. And, and then the engagement dilemma of how you engage parents and supporting clubs through that process is a lot of the work that we're doing right now. So I go around the country, I speak a lot at AGMs for state associations to different clubs, and then work hand in hand with clubs on a daily basis on helping them establish a parent engagement program that will help the children and the families in their club thrive. If you had to say uh, maybe the, the top two or three things that parents um, in today's, you know, youth soccer, uh, competitive soccer environment uh, that they need to know, what would you say would, you know, what are those things? Mm, yeah. Um, well, I think there's probably like four or five key things that parents need to be more aware of just in general. Like if you're the parent of an athlete that's growing up, you need to understand long-term athlete development. You need to understand and be able to make thoughtful decisions for your child when it comes to if they're going to specialize or not in a sport. I'm not saying that's bad, but you need to understand things like functional movement for your child and how important it is that they know how to move. They can do a cartwheel. They can figure out how to do a forward roll. Those types of things are just like essential if you're going to be the parent of a, a child. I think you also need to understand 
the massive impact that you have on your child, we know as parents on helping our children develop their identity. And as a sports parent, we can often screw that up. <laughs> I did with my daughter over and over again before I realized that I need to be her parent. I do not need to get involved with her soccer. So that's why I need to find an environment I trust for her to handle the soccer. And I can just love her like a parent is supposed to love her. And um, that is probably some of the key messages, you know, between all the like the specifics that you need to know just about the game or about growing up as an athlete, but then just reminding us as parents to just be a parent. I've found that uh, I think one of the hardest things in my coaching journey has actually been coaching my son and uh, he's eight um, in the I, I think the struggle, uh, Sky, has been the being able to differentiate between dad and coach. And you know, we've we've gone from knockdown, drag out, uh, you know, probably uh, not a, not good examples of things to do. And I say that in in full transparency. Uh, but I also think that we've gotten to you know a, a pretty good place now where we can. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to say separate the two. Um, because he looks at me as dad first and he will always look at me as dad first coach is always second. And, um, you know, I, I, am okay with that. Uh, I think for a long time, I think I really struggled that I wanted him to look at me as coach first, mm -hmm. especially when we we're training, you know, or at a match or something like that. And so, you know, something that I keep coming back to, uh, is that our kids, whether they be, you know, biological or our kids that we're coaching, take their cues from us as coaches. And so I would love to go back and have a conversation with myself five years ago uh, yeah. about the type of coach that I was. Um, I, I've never been a yeller and a screamer, but, you know, I think I internalized a lot of what was happening. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm, I'm very transparent when I admit that because it, it is a process, right? Yeah. It is this continuous effort of wanting to evolve and change and get better and understand oneself. And um, I think what I've experienced uh, from some of the parents that I've worked with generally has been good, but I also see a lot of folks that are trying to really live through their children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm curious um, what advice you would give someone that is sort of uh, projecting some of their own stuff and, yeah. that could, and that could be a number of things right but projecting those things onto their kid as you can imagine i get this kind of question a lot or i have this conversation with parents like yourselves a lot where they say if i could just do it again or now that i have this perspective and i feel like that with my daughter she told me the most horrific story a couple weeks ago when she's in spain now but we were talking she's like mom do you remember when i was like eight years old and you got so frustrated with me playing that you've left, like you literally left the field and had dad drive me home. And I'm like, I did what? <laughs> like, it was just horrible for me to hear that. Like the damage that I did to my child by just getting frustrated with her performance. Are you kidding me? When she's eight, you know, come on. So um, I hear that, that a lot, like, oh, if I could do this again, or having this perspective. And that's a lot of what I'm the work that I'm doing is I'm trying to help parents have it easier that first time around because we oftentimes just get one or maybe two chances at this, you know, and and let's do it right this first time. So I'm trying to give parents the benefit of my experiences and the the thousands of parents that I've worked with experiences so that they can they can hit the ground running and not have these uh, regrets down the road that we might feel now and then. Um, well, no, so, go ahead. Yeah. So for the parents that are living vicariously through the child. I think that's, an, that's, that's, um, I think, I think we need to be really clear about this. I talked the other day, um, in the interview that I did for soccer parenting with, um, Donna Fisher about this, like we, we've classified parents, which I understand we do, but we need to be really thoughtful with the classifications because there are the parents that are to be clear, living vicariously through their children. And those are crazy parents. And I talk about crazy soccer parents. There's nothing we can do to help them. We need to ignore them. We need to stop giving them so much of our attention. Um, but then there's also this other huge group of people that are level-headed parents that just aren't sure what to do. 
And so we need to we need to start speaking about that group, those level-headed and stressed parents, because when we start talking living vicariously through the child, like nobody wants to be in that classification, but we also need it. So then they don't, we don't seek help or guidance or, or support, but we also need to realize that um, these level-headed and stressed parents are the majority of parents. And for those parents, um, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm diving deep now into this whole concept of identity. I've been talking to Seth Taylor and Patrick Gianni about it. I've been talking to Richard Barlow. Bartlett about this. I've been talking to, we talked the other day to Donna Fisher, these recent interviews that I've done about this, like really what is our role as a parent of a young athlete? And it really is to love them. And Donna talked some phenomenal stuff about the difference between our children's performance identity and their athletic and their um, authentic identity. And so if we can separate these two different things between our performance identity and authentic identity. Our job as a parent is the authentic identity. That's all that matters. The performance stuff needs to be handled by, by the coaches and the clubs and, and by the children themselves developing their own performance identity. We cannot create that for them. And so as parents, we really just need to be focusing on making sure our children feel, as Seth and Patrick always say, that they feel safe and that they feel loved. And that's where that's what we need to bring to the table. Um, there's way too much pressure on these kids and too much pressure that we put on them or that society places on them. I'm not sure where it all comes from, but the chance of our children really being a high level performer is very, very slim. And if they are going to be there, they will figure that out themselves. They're not going to figure it out, out by us creating that environment or you know, forcing them down that path. I don't know about you, but I like saving money, and I have a special offer for listeners of the On the Touchline podcast as a Duke Tig brand FC member, and I'd like to pass that savings on to you. If you're not familiar with Duke Tig brand and what they do, they were started by two professional women soccer players who felt that something was missing when it came to planning sessions, organizing your coaching philosophy, in figuring out your own personal style, either as a player or as a coach. These things should not be stressful, and they should be enjoyable, and they should also involve high-quality products. One of the goals of Duke Tig Brand is to provide the soccer community with those products. I can proudly say that I have used Duke Tig Brand for over a year now, and I absolutely love the product. I currently use the Duke Tig Brand Trainer 2.0 Plus to plan my sessions, to take notes, to do some introspection after matches and after training sessions. I absolutely swear by it, and I want you to experience the all the good things that Duke Tig Brand has to offer. So if you go to duketigbrand.com and place your order upon checkout, Enter the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. That will save you 10% on your next order. I've included instructions in the show notes. Go back, give a look, and I hope you can experience the savings today. All right, now let's get back to our episode. I'm curious if, uh, so I, I would agree with what you said that um, the majority of parents that I've worked with and, uh, you know, whether that be in a school setting, a soccer setting, professional setting, whatever, um, yeah, they are by and large level-headed and, um, you know, I, I think they have a good perspective, right? I think they have a good balance of understanding I'm a parent, but I also want to be involved in my kid's life, you know, to whatever degree that means. So what about the folks that or sort of the the conscientious objectors, right? Or the the folks who who sort of push back and say, you know, yeah, so what? Uh, what have you? I'm sure you've encountered them. So how have you, you know, sort of worked with them, or you know, maybe coached them along to help them understand that, um, you know, not only the work that you're doing, but maybe a club or a group of coaches is doing is is really valuable. Yeah. Um... 
Well, I think I think that we need to realize that every kid brings something and every parent seeks something different for their children through sport. So um, I do think that there is an issue. Um, I, I've been recently writing about this concept of, you know, the next big the next big push that needs to happen when it comes to youth sports is getting parents more engaged as parents realizing we do need to be more active and we do need to know these basic things and we do need to um, connect with our children's environment and make sure that it's suitable um, regardless of the level in which they're playing. But, um, you know, I guess it's for the parents that, that, um, just sort of, are you saying like the ones that just sort of drop their kids off and leave every time and don't really get, don't really have a deep connection? Um, or maybe they, they push back and say, well, maybe I don't agree with, uh, you know, how you're approaching things, or maybe they, you know, they're, they're sort of the, <laughs> I guess I would use them the why parents, right? Yeah. They, they, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they want an explanation as to why we do everything that we yeah. do. Yeah. I've got a couple of those on my team right now. It's been really challenging. <laughs> It's taken a lot of my energy, really, um, as a coach to have to consistently do that. And and it's also, um, if I wasn't so secure in myself as a coach, then I could see that it would have caused me a lot of problems. Um, and it still has caused me a lot of stress. <laughs> um, even being secure and confident, I am second guessing myself. I am like, you know, double thinking things. And so... Um, I think the way that I've worked with those parents is by two things. One is establishing trust with them. So the first thing is really making sure that I know them, making sure that I know their names, making sure that I know what they do for work, making sure that I know the names of their other children, making sure that they know how much I love their daughter um, and how, how um, much I see that she is performing or being a part of her team or, you know, giving them lots of feedback. So trying to establish trust with them. And then as I've been establishing trust, then just having very real conversations with these parents of like, listen, this is too much, or you're asking too many questions, or it's not okay for you to, in the middle of the team meeting, talk to me about the tactics that are going on. So, you know, just having to set some really clear guidelines and um, some frameworks for how this relationship will work for these parents. I know that might sound really kind of weird to have to do that, but this is such a relationship. The coach-parent relationship is one that hasn't been defined. And so parents aren't quite sure where to run with it and how to go with it. And so I do feel like this team that I have right now is a bit of an experiment in my parent engagement strategies. And you know, if I can really define the appropriate behavior and instead of getting offended by the dad that keeps asking so many questions, instead engage with him and let him know that that is appropriate or that's not appropriate. And so far it's been going well. Um, it requires a lot of education on the part of coaches, like understanding how to have these conversations, which is, you know, going to be a challenge, um, was always going to be a challenge for us in educating coaches about these things. But, um, I would say the parents that keep pushing back, you need to establish trust. And if you can't establish trust, then maybe they are one of the crazy ones. <laughs> and then you can ignore them. <laughs> I, to say well, that. I do though. We can spend way too much time on the crazy ones. There's all these other parents and kids that need our help. The uh, the energy vampires, as I like to call them, yeah, they uh, can cool. suck out the, uh, the air of the room sometimes for sure. Right. Um, so what about the coaches? So we were talking about, you know, maybe that there have been, at least in our experiences, two different camps of coaches, right? The ones that let people in and then the ones that sort of build the fort. And what about the coaches? Um, so I've had this conversation uh, where, uh, you know, folk, fellow coaches of mine have said to me, why are you talking to the parents so much? And I've said, what do you mean? Why am I talking to the parents so much? Uh, I'm trying to get to know them, trying to build a relationship with them, trying to just understand who they are as people. You know, I've never, never met these folks before. Uh, we're going to spend a whole lot of time together over the course of the season. Yeah, they're going to have to know who I am and what I do, and I'm going to have to know who they are. And so everything that you just said there, but I've also worked with coaches that have said, you know, gosh, get, get me the, the training space as far as, you know, far away as I can get from the parents. Mm -hmm. And I guess what advice would you offer, you know, coaches to say like, no, the parents really aren't the enemy. Let them in, engage with them, you know, be a part of the process. Yeah. 
Um, well, when you were first talking and you were saying, you know, you, you want to connect with parents. I mean, I don't think necessarily during the practice time is the time to connect with parents. So like, I, I don't want parents sitting on my sidelines while I'm coaching. I don't think that that's in the best interest of the kids. I think they're going to be aware of that, but it is what it is. Some parents will stay. Um, so I could understand why a coach would want some distance during practice time, just as a caveat or just as a, a side note to what you just said. Um, but no, I do believe that engaging parents um, will lead to better player development. Um, that when we when we establish collaborative relationships between clubs, parents, and coaches, that we will see more children that are inspired and will stay involved in the game for longer. Um, and um, I guess you know this for some coaches, this really is rethinking the dynamic of the coach-parent relationship. Saying that. Um, but I will say that the more that I talk about these issues and these topics, the, 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 I, I get more and more of these aha moments. I'm starting to have coaches that are reaching out to me. At first, I thought you were crazy, and now I'm totally on board with this. Like, I see the benefit. Or, um, you know, when I, was, when I was on Gary Cronin's podcast or when I was interviewing him, he said something kind of like that. Like, gosh, if I had just done this when I was back in the youth game, I see now that this would have made things so much easier. And it's just a new way of looking looking at things. Um, but engaging parents doesn't have to be a full-time job. I mean, we, we do have, you know, one of the roadblocks to parent engagement for sure is this is the time that we have as coaches and what's feasible for us in terms of realistic relationships to have with the coaches, with the, with the parents. So you need to set up something that makes sense for you and that you can follow through with and not say, for instance, oh, I'll send an email after every game or you know, I'll follow up with you, um, you know, once a week. If you can't do that, do not say you can do that because that is not establishing trust. But whatever works for coaches in your schedules and in the way you operate um, organizationally, then I would say, um, you know, you, you, you should be connecting with parents. Um, for a lot of coaches, that means just quick interactions face-to-face -face with people. That's what's definitely easier for me. I am not a big email sender. Um, I've been trying to do that more with my team now because we've had some stress with the parents. So I realized I need to communicate more and I'm seeing the, the value of that and I'm making that a priority. But even that isn't, isn't a regular email and I haven't made any real commitments, but I do meet with the parents before every game briefly and, um, and go out of my way and any opportunity that I have just to you know, say hello and have a quick conversation. I always come at it from the angle of, uh, you know, un under promise and over deliver mm -hmm. um, because I agree with you. I think um, we as coaches set ourselves up for failure if we begin at the beginning of a, a season or, you know, time together with a team where you start making all these promises that, you know, you're going to hear from me, you know, five times a week and blah, 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 yeah. and all these things. I mean, you just, I agree. I mean, I think, think thinking what is most realistic um, and what a coach can handle and you know too what's appropriate I mean, exactly i was gonna say like at some point we just need to say that i i don't i you know i need to be focusing on the players more <laughs> than yeah. the parents so we need to engage them and connect with them so they feel their child's in a safe environment and so they've established a relationship if they're stressing they can come talk to you or if you need to have a difficult conversation about their child and if they're not paying attention or if they don't seem to be performing at this level anymore, if their team's passing them by, whatever those difficult conversations might be, you have the you have the foundation to be able to have that most successfully. That's really what we're talking about, you know. And then parent engagement comes in a lot of different ways too. I mean, we're talking about the coach parent engagement, but there's also parent engagement comes from the club. Parent engagement comes from the organizing body, whether that be uh, you know the the league or whether that be um, you know U.S. club or U.S. youth soccer or U.S. soccer. And then there's also this parent-to-parent -parent, parent engagement that's happening. So it's really just, you know, it comes from a variety of different different places. It doesn't all have to be on the responsibility of the coach by any means. Yeah. Uh, so if in five years, um, you know, we fast forward the clock, um, what would you, I guess, like to see have happened uh, between, you know, today and, and five years from now when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, parent education as it relates to players and coaches and, and all of us in the in the soccer community. Mm, somebody posted a tweet earlier today. I, I reflected on it. I thought to comment. I just wanted to like think and reflect on it more. Um, he said something like it 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 always surprises me or blows me away 
how much money parents are willing to spend for their average soccer players to travel so much to play or something like that. Um, so I think the bigger thing that we're talking about in that with that statement, or to me, what what I started reflecting on was just our youth landscape and where we are right now in terms of our children receiving what they want. Have we created an environment for our kids that suits them, that meets their needs? Are we asking the kids what we want? So four or five years from now, what I hope is that we have a landscape that more suits our children so that they can stay involved with the game. And I think that a lot of that has to do with their pathways. I think the kids get sucked into a higher performance pathway than really is necessary. That higher performance pathway often involves traveling and paid coaches. And um, and and I, I go back and forth on this, truly, because, you know, I pay for my son, who's a recreational level player, to go play futsal. And it's pretty expensive for him to go through all this training. It's worth every penny for me. I don't I don't mind spending that money, even though it's really clear to me that that's he's not on a high performance level because he's healthy and that's his time to get out of the house more. And, and so I go back and forth on this. But what I hope is that the parents start having some perspective on pathways and they have a little bit of a louder voice and we can establish a youth landscape that makes the most sense so that our kids will stay involved, whether that's giving more programming to kids at the older level that typically fall out of the pathway, or um, whether that means just having a little bit more perspective on, on less crazy travel that's necessary. Um, but I, I think that parents can can be part of that, that change that we're seeing, that we wanna see. So uh, we'll uh, back out even a little further in terms of uh, more of a, a macro view so what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong uh, in this country uh, when it comes to soccer? Oh, gosh, that could have been the first question. We could have talked all day on that one. <laughs> I might need a, a couple of glasses of wine to get through that. But um, <laughs> so um, what we're doing right. Um, I'm. I'm I've been following like the U.S. Soccer AGM this weekend. It still feels like there's just so many things that aren't working <laughs> at our highest level of leadership. Um, so I'm I'm I feel like um, though I've been pretty okay with this grassroots concept that we're rolling out. This play practice play. I. I believe in that. I believe that it's an easy way for uneducated coaches to be able to roll out practices if they go to the DCC and actually get a practice. It's not literally just let them play and then do some drills and then let them play. I mean, that is not play practice play. But if it's done correctly, I do believe that we're kind of on to something. And I know that Zach Crawford has worked really hard as with all the coaching staff on rolling this out. So I'm, I'm, feeling pretty good about that. I think they have a long way to go with making those practices accessible and seeing them play out. And so, but that is definitely something that we're doing well. I feel like clubs are starting to realize and take responsibility for educating coaches. Um, and that will continue to improve. Um, I would say that that really connects into what we're doing wrong. And that is, which is such a large country and there's so many options available. And um, you know, when we talk about, you know, things that clubs can do to educate coaches or make their life easier, there's there's 5,000 options that a, co that a club has. And so we're still very fragmented because of that. Um, I'm not saying that everyone should do everything the same, but um, um, I am feeling optimistic that clubs are starting to be a little bit more professional in how they're approaching things and um, the programming that they're that they're rolling out. Um, I'm feeling like we're doing um, parent engagement right. You know, it's kind of become a buzzword. It's really exciting to me to see how much um, the the mentality has changed to the work that I'm doing and others are doing around parent engagement. Um, I really strongly believe that this will be a huge difference maker, and um, so I look forward to connecting with more and more clubs over time and going from 50 clubs to 200 clubs that are members that are providing parent education programming within their clubs. So um, we're doing that right. 
Um, I think we still have a lot of challenges with, you know, I said I'm positive about play, practice, play, but, you know, the, the first experience that children have in the game, um, not the two to six-year-olds, that's or two to five-year-olds, that's sort of a separate thing, but, you know, just having a very positive, trying, but uneducated coach for the first experience is always going to be an issue. I think clubs have to rethink that. They have to redesign what grassroots soccer looks like in clubs. And um, as they start redesigning that, and we come up with some programming that we haven't even really even imagined yet that's available to these these kids that are new to the game, then, um, then that'll be really exciting. I've often said that I think um, some of the best coaches uh, probably need to be working in grassroots oh, yeah. to a certain degree, um, you know, that they can or that they're able to do because uh, if, a, if a child can walk away and feel inspired and have fun and they they're not dreading coming to a training session or practice or a game or whatever they got going on at their local club then i would say that club and that coach has won in terms of you know building that beginning to build that lifelong affinity for the game mm -hmm. and i i've often told folks guy that i judge my success as a coach so i i coach u10s u10 boys i judge my success uh, by the retention of those players. Are they coming back? Are they staying engaged with the game? Uh, and it's not just, you know, their performance on the field or the training sessions or whatever. It's now beginning to educate them about soccer culture mm -hmm. in a macro sense, right? In a bigger sense of, are they watching EPL on Saturday mornings? Are they, you know, who do they follow? Who are some of their favorite players? Um, you know, if, if I see some, uh, a kid show up before training, you know, in a jersey or a kid or something like that, making sure that I sort of notice, you know, those sort of things and, um, you know, and, and being positive, but also being realistic uh, with them and their parents. Um, because you said something earlier that really resonated with me that not every kid is going to go on and play at the collegiate level. Not every kid's going to have that chance to, to get a professional contract and get into you know the mls or go play abroad or, or something like that and you know so i i don't think we need to shoehorn kids into opportunities that um you know might not be right for them and if i could just i'll get off my soapbox here in a sec no, but, uh, <laughs> uh you know the the word fun i think sometimes gets lost in all this right that mm -hmm. kids should enjoy it i mean i know how much i enjoyed playing new sports and um, granted, different time, different era, but man, it was so enjoyable to get out there and play. Just play, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, you said that you know sometimes you think that the some of our best coaches should be in the grassroots, and and I think that that's true. But I also think that it's that we and need to do a better job as clubs of creating a really clear grassroots culture. And that to me is is where we have a lot of room to grow. And those those coaches that are in that grassroots environment, they do not need to be like an A licensed youth coach. They just need to get some really solid training and have real clarity about what their role is. And right now, you know, you have a rec coach that goes out to be first time coach and doesn't know the sport and they are in 50,000 directions because they're not given any really clear, often aren't given any really clear perspective. So I don't think it's as hard as it needs to be to solve that problem. It's just that we're not adequately addressing it right now. And so once clubs really, really develop programs that adequately address their recreational grassroots, there's a lot of reasons. You talk to a grassroots director and they'll give you 50 reasons of why that won't work and why this and why that. And we need to get past that. And we just need to start implementing some programming at that level and see what happens. I mean, I said I got the same things. The parent engagement won't work. You know, this people would say that to me all the time. And now the, the tide's starting to turn there a little bit. Um, and then your comments about fun. I mean, we everyone wants to have fun. I mean, you talk to Olympic level athletes and they will say that they would quit if they weren't having fun. So what fun means, um, and there's some great research on that from Amanda Visick, we're clear about what fun means to players um, at different age groups and such. So, you know, that needs to be when I'm talking about creating an environment that suits the children and that meets their needs. I mean, that is fun. And, um, you know, we need to, to dive into the clear research that's there 
and uh, realize, you know, what kids are looking for and ask ourselves, is the environment actually giving them that? And it sounds like, you know, the work that you're doing of retention is a perfect way to look at that. And so when clubs are professionalizing themselves and they're starting to look at standards and they're starting to do surveying, they're starting to look at retention rates, that's when we'll start to see the improvement because then they're going to be saying, why? Why are we losing, you know, why are 23% of the kids dropping out at the U8 age group? And then we can improve that. And that's when we'll start to see some really great changes. So when you announce your uh, can candidacy for the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation president, do you need a campaign manager? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not very. Um, I'm more operational driven than governance driven. I will tell you that right now. Um, she can't be bought, ladies and gentlemen. She can't be bought. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Sky, if uh, if folks want to connect with you and and follow along with the the work that you're doing, it soccer parenting how can they do that yeah thanks for asking um well i'm really uh, available on social media at soccer parenting for twitter and facebook i'm not really on instagram um the website is soccerparenting.com that's our public blog and then the education platform is the is uh soccerparentresourcecenter.com so just reach out to me through soccerparenting.com or through social media and um, can tell you more about the club memberships and about individual memberships and if anyone's interested in um trying to take a look behind the membership wall and see what's at the resource center, just um, hit me up and I can send you a link so you can get behind it for a day and, and check it out. It's quality stuff. And uh, I've uh, been fortunate to, to be a part of some of your webinars that you do. Um, right. I've learned a ton. And uh, I, I, for full disclosure, I had every intention in the world of being a part of the, uh, the Donna Fisher uh, yeah. webinar last week. And of course, work got in the way. Yeah. Well, check it uh, out. It was a really good conversation. I learned so much from her. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of these interviews are great. I've learned. That's this has been great for me. You know, I've learned learned every every day. Um, you know how we can improve and how we can how we can create an environment for our children in which they'll thrive and feel inspired. So, yeah, great place to leave it. Uh, Sky Eddie Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast, and I wish you nothing but success and hope that uh, at a convention or uh, a coaching event or something in the not too distant future, we have a chance to, to meet up in person. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Keep doing this great work you're doing, getting the word out about, um, you know, ways that we can all improve. So thanks so much. My sincere thanks to Sky Eddie Bruce for being the latest guest on the On the Touchline podcast. Sky, I wish you and the Soccer Parenting Association nothing but success going forward and would love to have you back on sometime to do a, a deeper dive into a very specific topic. So what did we learn in this episode? Uh, number one, that trust is largely lacking throughout the U.S. soccer landscape. It starts at the youth level and goes all the way up to the collegiate, professional, semi-professional level. So beginning to take steps in your local community to build back that trust. And if that's trust between you and a player, between you and a parent, you and the club that you work for, it doesn't matter. It has to start somewhere. The second thing we learned is that true player development is multifaceted and that parents need to understand sort of their role in true player development to be a support system, to be a parent to the player itself, and to allow the coaches to really thrive and succeed in that environment. And then the last thing that we learned that having a landscape that suits our children. I really liked when Sky said that, that as we continue to evolve and develop as a soccer country, figuring out how we can make children the primary focus of what we do. So everything that we do has them at the center of how we operate as a coach, as a club, as an organization. And many are doing that already, so kudos to them. You can find new episodes of the On the Touchline podcast every Wednesday and every Saturday. You can also connect with me on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, 
and my handle is at soccercoachjb. The last thing that I need from you, if you like this show, which judging by the initial response, we're almost three months in, has been absolutely tremendous. Please share the show on social media. Tag me when you do that, at soccercoachjb. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcast, I need you to go there right now, leave a five-star rating and a brief review about the show. That helps put push us up the podcast rankings when it comes to soccer podcast, and more and more folks in the soccer community can find out about this show. March is going to be a very busy month. We're going to finish February strong with some great guests next week, but March is going to be absolutely massive. This has been the On the Touchline podcast, and until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.